to have everyone to their seats, please. One of the things I respected the most about being in India was how biblical the believers were about the Christian life. Having never left the country and then going to another country to see how they process what it means to be a Christian, I was exposed to loopholes in my own understanding. I was with men and women who didn't have all of the theological categories that often blind us, that we make Facebook posts about and dumb statements, arguing over once saved, always saved. I didn't, there was none of that. For them, it was simply you are either of God or of Satan. For them, there was no gray area. That's how they saw it. No theological categories to haggle over. Just plain, you are living for the Lord or you are living for the devil. I've been a pastor here for 15 years. And in that time, I've sought to emulate that example. I've used humor. I've been direct. I've taken seriously and tried to communicate to this church the seriousness of what it means to follow the Lord. Sure, there's fun, there's joy in all those things, but this is not a game. And whether you like how I say things or not, I've always tried to make sure that when I communicate the truth, that it's both biblical and that it has the seriousness that it should have. I don't mince words. I don't flatter. And I don't sensationalize things. So when I say to you, as your pastor, friend and brother, that the enemy is here, I mean it. I'm not talking about in theological categories. I'm talking about Satan is in our midst. Whenever the Lord reveals to me what we need to go through as a church when I'm on sabbatical, it usually takes some time before I understand why this particular focus. Why, why Lord, okay, we're going to do supernatural. So okay, I get it. What's going on? And we're looking at information. And I know that, you know, the enemy is always attacking. I know that in theory. I get it. I live my life by it. But it's become clear that the enemy is not just attacking us in the, in the ethereal sense, but he's here in solid rock, seeking to destroy that which the Lord has built. And as long as I'm here, I will not allow it. I will not allow it. It usually takes me time to figure out, Lord, why are we doing this? Not this time. Not this time. The Lord is revealing to me that Satan is here in our midst. He's offended. We've had a lot of growth this past year. A lot of people loving the Lord more, reading their Bibles more. But he's here now. I'm not saying this to make you afraid. I'm saying this to make you alert. Solid Rock, I know there are people here who are newer. You're not members of our church. Thank you for coming. You might not even be a believer. Thank you. Appreciate you coming. What I'm saying now is to my church, though. It may include you, but it's not about you. Solid Rock, listen to me very carefully. Very carefully. It is of the utmost importance that you take these messages in this series very seriously. Because the enemy is among us. And he doesn't look like how you think he looks. There is a reason the Lord has us in this series exposing the schemes of the devil. It's important 
that you take these messages and today's message very seriously. You do not need to be afraid, but you need to be alert because he is among us. God is revealing it and exposing it, and I'm not having it. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. When Peter wrote this, he's talking about in general. This is the strategy of the enemy. What I'm talking about is specific. This is the attack on our church. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is why we're not afraid. This is part of the Christian life. But my job as your pastor, when I see the wolves coming, no matter how they look, it's my job to prepare you as a church. Because when I stand before God and give an account, there's a lot of things I got to say my bad for. But the one thing I'm not going to say my bad for is not saying what needs to be said on a Sunday morning and challenging this church. I'm not trying to offend anyone for the wrong reason. But I want you to be offended for the right reason. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 is not our passage today. It's our warning today. Satan is among us. He's among us. Be alert. Because if you're not, he will grab you. And sadly, some of you, he already has. Today, we are going to look at a very good scheme of the devil. A very good one. And it's good because it's not a thought that we normally carry in our heads. We don't normally think this way. In fact, if someone asked us, we would be like, no, of course not. That's the devil's thing. Like, hey, if you've heard it and agree with it, then you actually don't do it even if you do it. This scheme is very subtle. And that's what makes it scary. It's a whisper that we often want to be true. And the fact that it's not true has led many to justify serious sin and even walk away from the faith. The passage we are going to read is one we've heard countless times including in the last series, in the Supernatural Storyline. It won't be a surprise. Neither is the one thing that we must believe until we leave. We're going to read this passage and ask this question. What is the one thing, the one thing you need to believe to grow in the Lord? What's the one thing you need to believe to grow in the Lord? Here's our passage. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 11. And I quote. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here is the one thing we need to believe to grow in the Lord. 
Growth in godliness is not intentional. It's intentional. It's not inevitable. Growth in godliness is intentional. It's not inevitable. You don't just grow because you profess to believe at some point in your life. It doesn't inevitably happen. Two weeks ago, I mentioned that we will work hard to achieve earthly success. We'll go to school for however we need to to get a degree. We'll work significant overtime. We'll forsake fellowship of the church. You'll even get offended at me or others for prodding you to be a part of fellowship. Taking on new projects, working on weekends, all the things that don't have any eternal value. We'll work hard at those things for earthly success. But when it's eternal success, we want it to be easy. Why do we got to do this? Why do we got to like go to a group every week? Why do we have to serve in this way? But you never ask, why do I have to work overtime to make extra money? Why do I have to go to school for this amount of time to be a doctor? You accept that as a functioning reality, but when it comes to the faith, it's a complaint. Somehow growing in the Lord is optional. You roll your eyes at statements that are said that you don't like. You smile and agree, but you leave and stay the same. And then somehow it becomes the church's fault. It becomes other people's fault. It's never your fault. The enemy has convinced us that if we work really hard for our unbelieving spouses, professors, politicians, that he is pleased or even more pleased than if we work hard for him. Many of us don't think that way intellectually. If I ask you that, you'd be like, of course not. But then look at your commitments. Look at your commitments. Missing church for months. You ain't traveling. You ain't nowhere. Complaining about the small things and thinking that somehow God is like, yes. Do you realize that everything we do here is God preparing us to be in his presence all the time? If you want breaks here, then why would you want to be there forever? Are you serious? Do you honestly think that you're going to enjoy heaven when you act like it's hell now? You can't commit to things now? You give in to sin now and you expect God to be like, well done? Well done. We live like growth is inevitable. And biblically speaking, it's not has never been. So when we're not growing, we somehow think it's normal. I think God thinks it's of the devil. Let's look closely at the concern of the writer of Hebrews. Verse 11. About this, we have much to say. And then it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The author is referring to what he said above verses 11. And those verses are explaining that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And because of that, he became the source of our salvation. That he's a greater high priest than even for the Jews, they would know of Melchizedek. He's greater than him. But the point is, is that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. He cried out prayers and supplications, and he was heard. And so he's the source of eternal salvation. This is foundational Christian theology. It's not real complicated. It's different phraseology that just says Jesus suffered on the cross, and now is the way to salvation, to eternity. It highlights a function of the priesthood that we don't normally talk about but it's the gospel with a slightly different emphasis. 
And when you know the gospel, this isn't really difficult to grasp. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense unless you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. When he says it's hard to explain, he doesn't mean that it's difficult for him to find the right words to communicate. That's not his emphasis. That's not what he's getting at. When he says about this time we have much to say and that it's hard to explain, not because it's so awesome that I can't put it into words, not because I lack the, the intelligence or the communicative ability to explain these things. He's saying you have become hard of hearing. It's hard to explain to people who are no longer interested in this truth. So I got to figure out how to, he's like, man, I, I, gotta, I could say, I got, there's a lot to say about this, but I, it's too hard. Not because I lack the spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit is telling them what to write. I don't struggle. There's no one that tells me, hey, Kurt, you're really confusing. That's not a, that's not a correction I ever get. I usually get your too clear. And I'm all right with that. Because God's not the author of confusion. I, I'm not trying to be. He's saying it's too hard to explain to you because you're dull of hearing. You're uninterested. Dull is the word nothros in the Greek. And it means lazy, sluggish. Heavy, leisurely, gradually, slackness. He's saying that the truth about Jesus has become uninteresting to you because you're lazy to think about it. You're slow to do anything about it. Grace is so amazing that God is okay if you stay in the same place. Your whole life. So you actually, if you're a Christian, you genuinely believe that you have the Holy Spirit in you, the spirit that is the third person of the Trinity that brought Jesus back from the dead and did all these things and who Jesus said his responsibility is to sanctify you, to help you grow in maturity. So you believe that that spirit is in you, but yet you're not growing and that's okay. That's normal. He's saying, it's not. You become dull of hearing, lazy, sluggish about Jesus, your Lord and Savior, the one who you think you're going to spend eternity with. You are uninterested now, and you think you're going to be worshiping later? More importantly, Listen, I don't know what you think about what it's going to be like and how God's going to evaluate you when you die. I don't know what you think. But here's one thing that is true. The Lord knows who we are way more than us. He knows if the faith was genuine. You may fool us, and some of you have been until recently. You may fool us. But when you stand before him, he's going to know why you didn't commit to all these things. You can tell me you got to work, you got this, you got that. You can, you can say all of it. Well, I don't like the way he said this. I don't like this. Okay. But when you stand before him, he's going to know why you really didn't grow. And he's going to determine if you really believed. And there are going to be people who think they really believed with a subpar commitment. And he may say, I don't recognize you. And you're, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at all the excuses you made about simple things. Look what you did instead of that. Church, if you knew what I knew. If you knew what I knew, you would understand my passion this morning. The enemy's here. And I'm not having it. 
I'm ready for the fight. If all truths about Jesus directly or indirectly affect us, then being sluggish, dull, uninterested in those truths, by default makes you uninterested in your eternity. There's no other way around it. You can't be uninterested, lack passion about Jesus. Like, listen, Jesus sent a, God sent his son to die. He wants people who want to be with Jesus. I bet you there's tons of people in this room who want to go to heaven, not even to see the Lord. You're not even motivated by wanting to see the Lord. You want to you not suffer and not do this. You want to see other people but not Jesus. And do you think that God is going to look at you and be like, you want to be here so that you cannot struggle or be tired of this or that or be free from this, but you didn't want to see my son? And you're supposed to be like, yep, well done, come on in. I don't know how he's going to handle that, but none of us should think we good if we do that. God is not playing. He sent his son to die. To be bru- he brutalized his son so that we could take that seriously. And there's people that have been Christians for a long time. And you ain't really growing. And then you're giving in a sin that's so serious. He explains in detail why the people have become dull of hearing. He says this. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. This statement is not directed at people who do not understand the gospel and therefore don't live according to it. He's not saying that. The original recipients of this letter have been believers for a long time, or at least have been exposed to so much truth that they should be able to explain it to others. So the assumption that he's making is that you're a believer. You have been for a very long time. And yet you need someone to teach you the basics. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have known truth so long that you should be teaching others how to live. But instead, you need someone to teach you the basic principles because you're not living them. You should have a degree in obedience. And you're a freshman. Since you need someone to teach you the basic, you know what the basic principles of the oracles of God are? Here are the basic principles. Resist sin, pray, have fellowship, grow in your faith, serve, love one another, just basic. He's saying you need someone to tell you again, after hearing all this about Jesus, you got to resist your sin, bro. You got to give in. Grace doesn't say, hey, You can keep sinning real serious, and I'm okay with it because of grace. And even if it allows for that, it's not a gamble that we should take because no one has stood before God and come back and say, all right, this is what he's going to ask you. This is what it's like. These are the sins that are permissible that he's okay with. If you struggle with, he got you. You did what? I saw a couple dudes get in the dead worse than that. You're good. No one's come back and communicated what it's going to be like. So whatever ideas we have are not based on any fact. They're based on our perception, our application of what we think grace will be like. But we have no idea if our lackadaisical pursuit of the Lord to him is worthy of spending eternity with him. I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm trying to make you alert. If this offends you, good, because I'm offended. But I think I'm offended for the right reason.
These people presume upon grace instead of apply it. They live like growth is inevitable. And it's not. It never has been. There are patterns and habits that are easier than others. But there's a lot of growing that takes effort. That's not legalism. That's effort. Anything we do in this life requires effort. I don't know anyone who's good at anything that was just born that way. Except sinning. And in that, we are all experts. He further proves the point in verse 12. He proves it by making an analogy of those who know but say no to growing. In verse 13, he says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Listen to what he's saying. He's calling those who have not been intentional in their growth milk drinkers. And he explains deeper what the deeper issue is by saying that. He says they live on milk. For everyone who lives on milk, what does it mean to live on milk? Live. In this context, live is a definitive choice that a person has made. He's not talking to new Christians who are still learning the ABCs of the faith. He's not talking to new converts or, or people who may have grown up a Christian but then kind of fell in the world and are now coming back and they have a little bit of Christian background but they need to know how to live it. He's talking about people who know truth, have been around truth so long that you should be teaching others, you should be applying it. You should know the basic oracles but you need someone to teach you the basic principles because you're not living them. This live is a definitive choice that a person has made. It means they are satisfied with immaturity. I'm good with it. And there are people in this room who are good with it. And then get mad at me because I'm not. I will never be. Because when I stand before the Lord, I have to give an account. Like, I just wasn't tripping, Lord. I didn't really. There's some things I'm not giving an account for. There are people who know truth, but have said no to growing in that truth and are comfortable with it. Good. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, because sometimes the wrong people get convicted. I'm not talking about people who love the Lord and are trying to grow in the Lord and we all struggle and stumble. I'm not talking about that. There are people, the Lord knows who, who's who. But I don't want the wrong people to hear this and be like, oh, no. I'm already doing a lot I'm doing too. I'm not talking about that. You know who you are. I'm talking to the people that really just are okay with immaturity. You complain about the dumbest things. Some of the small, I'm sorry, they're dumb to me. They're dumb things that we're just trying to do as a church to honor the Lord and you've got a problem with it. Why is it always about you? When is it ever about him? You think, you think I want to come to meetings and do this stuff all the time? Do you know I could teach only on Sunday and not meet with anybody, not do nothing, and nobody would know? Everyone would think Pastor Kurt is so busy. None of you would know that. I could just teach on Sunday, get a salary, and just chill. You know why I'll never do that? Because the Lord's going to be like, I saw what you did. I'm going to reward you for what you did or take away rewards for what you didn't do. So I work harder than anybody because no one's going to accuse me of not working hard. Curse, you got too much on your plate. That's right. I'm fat, can't you tell? <laughs> Immaturity is not acceptable because of grace. It's not. Giving in a serious sin is not okay because of grace. It's not. Hiding serious sin is not okay because of grace. It's not. It will never be. And there's not a person in this room that should think they're good with God if that's what you're doing. People who know truth have said no to growing in that truth. 
Have you forgotten verses like Hebrews 12, 14, and 15? How do you process this verse when you're thinking about grace? Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. Okay, I can try that. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is his word, not mine. Strive for peace with everyone, for, with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So that's good that you people like you, you cool, good personality, attractive, all those things. Oh, people magnetic, people want to be around you. I've been a magnetic personality all my life. This isn't new to me to be a leader. I was the most popular at every school I've been in. And I was leading myself and others to hell because of it. It doesn't mean anything. Being a leader is not nothing to me. Standing in front of a crowd of thousands of people and preaching and making them laugh is nothing to me at this point. That's not impressive. What's impressive is the times where I'm tempted and I'm like, no, Lord, because I want to honor you. That's the stuff that God looks at. He's not impressed with my candor on, oh, this is my favorite sermon you preach, Kurt. I'll probably never hear that. But you know what I think I will hear? I love that you did this, that you said no to your, to your struggles right here. You resisted it. That is of me, my son. Anyone can talk and be funny and clever and all of that. People get plastic surgery to look better. That doesn't mean anything. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So God is saying, listen, if you're not holy, you're not going to see me. You're not going to see me. If you feel stung, good, because I'm stung. And then verse 15, listen to this. The first half, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Whoa. That's what that means. You can fail to obtain the grace of God. Connected to holiness, if you are not holy, you can fail to obtain the grace of God. Add that to your comfort in your salvation. Because this scares me. This is making me do things I wouldn't have done years ago. He goes on to say they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. I hope some of you are offended. I prayed out. I pray every day. I pray, Lord, offend them for the right reasons. I hope some of you are offended. I really do. Some of you need to be offended. I hope so. I pray, Lord, offend them for the right reasons. Make them uncomfortable for the right reason. And I pray, I hope the wrong people don't get uncomfortable. There are people in here who love the Lord. I'm proud. I want to be like, I'm proud to be around these folks. But there are a lot of people in here who are faking. Not fake Christians, but you just don't care about growing. You've settled your peace with it. You're satisfied with immaturity and all the, the prods to grow become a suggestion to you. That, if you do that, do that. I can't force you, but don't, don't, don't go into eternity thinking when I stand before God. Because you don't know that. You don't know what he's going to say. We can hope based on what we think grace will do. But I don't know what God's going to say about giving in a serious sin after professing to believe in him over and over or coming to church every week, but then not living it at all. Bitter, vindictive, self-righteous, judgmental, lustful, angry. And on Sunday, you laugh at my jokes because you agree. There's a lot of funny people in hell right now. There's a lot of funny people in hell right now. There's a lot of people who loved hearing good speakers. I'm not stupid. I know I'm a good communicator. I travel the country and people tell me this all the time. I preach a sermon. I told him the Sunday there's a line around the corner. Brother, where did you get your teaching from? Where did you learn? Where did you read? Said, I just talked to this at my church last week. What you talking about, bro? I didn't work on a certain sermon for this conference. I just taught that. Who cares? I've learned over the years that doesn't mean anything. It feels good, but what does it mean? 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body and make it my slave, left out the teaching of others. I myself could be disqualified. You know what that means for me? I could do all this and be disqualified. I got to strive for holiness and live holy. I got to be godly when y'all don't see it. When I'm at home by myself and I'm struggling with my thoughts or whatever, I got to be godly then. I got to be godly in these situations. God, it's not impressive to do this. This is my job. I can do this in my sleep. But obedience requires effort because I want to give in sometimes. I've earned the right to give in sometimes, right? We haven't, but that's how it plays out, right? It's Sunday. He said you're unskilled. It's the Greek word of peros. It means unacquainted with, unaccustomed to, without experience, unused to, not having known. He said these people who have been Christians all this time are unaccustomed to obedience. That's a crazy thought. Do you know if you work a job, most jobs, I heard the government is hard to get fired in the government. Especially, I heard that. I've been trying to get in the government as a part-time job for years. I know people that was like, bro, we just be in that joint flicking paper clips. We got big budgets. We got to spend these budgets by the end of the year. We just be doing wild stuff. I was like, they hiring? <laughs> just want a little extra money? Because to me, that's passive income. If I can show up and don't got really work, that's passive income. I clock in for a couple hours a week, chill, get paid. Like, whoa, hey, boys, we going out today. That's passive income. Passive income. There's no passive income in eternity. There's not one dollar of passive income in eternity. Not to God. If you are unskilled, then you're unaccustomed, you're unacquainted with, inexperienced with. And he's not talking about you know what Bible verses are there. He's talking about you actually know how to take the Bible and apply it for what it is. Because you can be skilled in applying the Bible wrongly. He's talking about skilled in righteousness which means you know how to take the Bible and apply it the way it's intended, not in the way that feels good to you. So you're unskilled. You can know truth, but not know how to grow using it. And he's saying this, he's talking to people who really do it. I do not think that that does not include us. The enemy is here. He's here. He's here. He goes on to say, unskilled in the words, since he is a child. Since a child. This is an emphatic statement. He says a child. He's not talking about a person, you know, children who are naturally born. He's talking about a person who refuses to grow up. When I was a kid, they used to have all these Toys R Us commercials. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Remember them? I used to love them joints. Until I grew up. And then it was like, that's really a slogan and not a way of life. Oh, I don't want to grow up. I just want to be a kid forever. It's like, no. Forever 21. You know, that's a clothing store, not a way of life, right? That's a chain that you shouldn't be chained to. It's describing a person who refused to grow up. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being a child. We love children. At one point, we were all children. In the world and in the faith. I remember my days of like not knowing much at all. I just knew I was a Christian. I believed in Jesus. I ain't had no doctrine. I ain't had nothing. I just knew I was willing to stay in the test of time. There's nothing wrong with being a child. But there is something wrong with being an adult who's a child. Even in the natural world, we would have a problem with that. We would have a problem with that. If I said to you, there's a story. I'm, I'm going to read this instead. 
Because if I say it, y'all just be like laughing. Listen to this. Husband of, I'm going back to being a child, in quotations. It's an article in the paper, the newspaper. Husband and father of seven, 52, leaves his wife and kids to live as a six-year-old girl named Stephanie. Stephanie. And they spell S-T-F-O-N-E, like your knee. Stephanie. That's creative. It says, a Canadian man who was married with seven kids has left his family in order to fulfill his true identity as a six-year-old girl. You know what that is? Demonic. That's evil. That's wicked. I don't care what you think about how people identify and we got to love them. I can love them and still say it's the evil. Jesus did it all the time. Jesus said to people who, his followers, if you who are evil give good gifts to your children, that's evil. And that ain't no good gift because you left your children. I mean, can you imagine me coming in here like, hey, man, I, you know, I'm a seven-year-old. I want to be in children's ministry. Imagine me coming in here with a diaper. Now, you would laugh at first, but if I did that for a couple weeks in a row, you would be like, wow, Pastor Curtis, right? All of a sudden, the seats would start getting less and less full. People would be like, man, what's going on? People who love me would come up and talk to me like, bro, what's going on? Some of you would probably try to cast the demon out. Because there's a problem with you being grown and acting like a child. Now, we are children of God by relation. But we're not supposed to be children in our salvation. Let me prove this to you, because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's me. Maybelline. First Corinthians 13, verse 11. This is what he says. This is Paul writing. First Corinthians 13, verse 11. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So there's a point where we were all children, naturally and in the faith, 100%. There's grace for that. But there comes a point in time where, fam, when are you going to grow up? And take your faith seriously. Stop making excuses. You really think you're going to love eternity? When you know you can't do this stuff now? 1 Corinthians 14.20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. There are people who are mature in their evil and don't realize their thinking is infantile. Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Here's a verse that motivates why I do what I do, why I try to think of new, new things every year, why I preach the way I preach. Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's what I do. Verse, verse 13, until, listen, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that way we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the worries, by the wolves, and carries about every wind of doctrine by human, human cunning. He says children just go back and forth. They don't believe this, they believe that. So he said, I sent teachers, what I am, shepherd, what I am, to equip the saints. I work hard every week to give you a sermon that you can apply. And I do it because I love this church. I poured out my life in this church. So when I say the enemy is here, and I say take it seriously, I'm not trying to get you hyped for this message. I'm trying to get you hyped for this life. But in particular, this moment. 
We are children by relation, not salvation. Remember this supernatural storyline? Some of y'all didn't know about this, and then you learned. But I told y'all about in sports when an athlete, like a, a, like a, a, a wide receiver or something, catches a, a, a ball over his opponent, over the cornerback or the safety. Or when somebody comes in and dunks on somebody or like three people. And what do they do? You see that? Remember this? Ugh. Like this, too small. Dude's touchdown like this. I was there Thursday night, and they scored Chicago. I'm still bitter. Probably my anger is because of that loss, but <laughs> at least I'm honest to admit it. But dude scored a touchdown. It was like, y'all, too small, too small. And in the Supernatural Storyline series, I did that plenty of times, right? The devil is too small, right? Y'all saw me there, too small. I made sure both sides saw it. Too small. <laughs> too small. The devil is supposed to be too small for God. But you're not. You're not supposed to be too small. You're supposed to be grown. Listen, there's no such things as a Christian midget. <laughs> oh, you're not, you're not supposed to use that word? Is that the bad word? There's no such thing as a Christian munchkin. No such thing. Man, I'm at home. There's no such thing as a Christian midget. There's no such thing as it. You grown, but you little. A grown little person in the faith. We're supposed to be a child of God, not a child in God. There are far too many childish Christians in the world and in this room. Comfortable. Comfortable with it. The author is not. God is not. And so I have to, by default, not as well. In verse 14, he ties it in. And this is where it gets interesting. He says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is where it gets interesting. Because this is where how to be unskilled in the word of righteousness versus skill comes into play. The blueprint for growth is right here in this verse. But here's the rub. And here's the scheme of the devil where he gets us. This is where he comes in. He whispers. There are two words in this verse that are the key to maturity. But the devil whispers to us. Why do you have to do that? It should be easier. Did God really say you have to put in work, a lot of work to grow? You don't have to constantly practice. Those are the two words, constant practice. The people get overwhelmed. Oh, what does that mean? What do I do? The same thing you do in the natural world. You constantly practice being who you are now. No one says, all right, this is overwhelming. I'm done with all of it. Maybe some do, but most of us press through. There's a lot of people in here who would quit their jobs if they could. They're tired of it. There's a lot of people who will be honest and say, parenting is tough. Marriage is tough. This is tough. This is tough. This is tough. Being, a, being alive is tough. But the enemy tells you, like, you really have to put in a lot of work to grow. You don't have to constantly practice distinguishing good from evil. That's not grace. God knows how much your career desires, mental health, your GPA, your sports, the approval of others. He knows how much that means to you. Rest. You've made it already. The devil tells you growth shouldn't be hard. Pastor Kurt is doing too much. God knows your heart. He doesn't. But what he doesn't tell you is that God inspired me to teach this because he does know your heart. He doesn't tell you that. He tells you, Pastor Kurt doesn't know your heart. He doesn't know what you're going through. Your church is asking too much of you. 
Just keep doing what you're doing. God knows your heart, not him. You're right, I don't. But I can evaluate actions, though. You reveal your heart every time you not do something or complain about it. There are times when God says, look, I'm inspiring my son to say this. Because constant practice for people in this room is just too much. You want the benefits of being a Christian, but not the responsibilities. You want me to be a pastor to show up, preach, do all the stuff I got to do. What if I did that? A couple times a month, Mike was like, hey, y'all, uh, Pastor Curly ain't going to make it today. He just didn't feel like coming to church today, but he said he promises he'll be back next week. I would get emails from you and all of it. But if I send you an email about where you're at, you get offended. Why is that? When someone asks you, hey, why didn't you come to the group? Oh, man, come on, man. Come on, what? We're not allowed to ask that? We're not allowed to expect you to honor the Lord and to live in the community? And then you think you're going to go spend eternity with God in heaven? Like he's watching like, yeah, man, they tripping. I want you to do less than what you're doing. I want you to read less than what you're doing. I don't think so. We're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about, I'm not adding a burden to you. I'm just saying and reminding you what the passage is saying. It's possible. And it's, and it's happening. When you are a believer, professing to believe, you know, but then say no to growing. And you're good with it. And so God made me a perpetual feather rougher. <laughs> or ruffler. And he said, tell him. But I promise you, I'm not telling you to do nothing. I'm not doing. And the people who know me know. This is not a preaching exercise to me. And it breaks my heart that there are people here who know that and still go against the grain of it. And if you think for a moment that you're safe, not in my church, you are not. If Santa knows who's naughty and nice, what you think God thinks? Not today, Santa. Santa, Satan, S-A-N. I'm going to have my man Strat come up here and spit a 16 so make sure y'all really get it this is the lie we believe that man it shouldn't be this difficult God doesn't he knows you're busy he knows you're overwhelmed in Matthew 23 God said to the Pharisees he said woe to you you tithe mint ruin coming but you neglect the weightier matters of the law he said that you should have done all of them. Some of us complain about the things that you would have to do in just any church. We don't got a busy schedule. People evaluate things by how comfortable you are. So I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Because a lot of it is just immaturity for real. Listen to what he said. Let's read this verse 11 through 14 again and summarize it. About this, we have much to say. And then this verse 11 of Hebrews 5. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Think carefully about what he's saying here. You know what he's saying? You ought to be ashamed of yourselves for knowing and not growing. That's what he's saying. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for knowing truth and not growing in that truth. In light of the grace of God and Jesus who learned obedience because he suffered so that you and I would not experience God's punishment? 
Jesus was beaten, brutalized, crucified. I got three boys. I love them. I'm sensitive about my kids. If they wrong, they wrong. But if you hurt my kids, and any parent feels this way, it's going to take the grace of God. Because I'm going to hurt you when it asks for forgiveness afterwards. I love my boys. I love my children. There's not a parent in this room who doesn't feel strongly about their kids. There's a certain level of protection and love that you do not want them to experience any harm. And you will, in your mind, you will kill a person if they hurt your children. So you don't think God cares about what happens to his son and how people treat him? So you and I would feel some type of way if someone disregarded our children, but God's supposed to be like, oh, I forgive. Come on in. The weather's fine. He doesn't care about people who disrespect his son? I'm not talking about non-Christians who say stuff. I'm talking about people who profess to believe and then sin and just, and just all this stuff and not really, and do this for years. Let me just say this if it's not clear. If that is you, you are not safe. You are not safe. Call it what you want, but I'm telling you, the warnings in the Bible are stronger than what I'm saying. If that's you, do not have confidence when you stand before God if you continue to live like this. You are not safe. And some of you know who I'm talking to. This is not a game. And what's sad is, you know, even the Pharisees, the Pharisees didn't even do that. Do you know the, the people I'm talking to, the people this pastor is talking to, you are willfully immature. Willfully. We're not talking about people who need to grow. There's grace for that. We all got to grow in some ways. That's grace for that. We're talking about willful immaturity. Willful disobedience. Willful immaturity. Even the Pharisees didn't do that. The Pharisees' problem was not that they pretended. Their problem was they were offended at Jesus. They thought they were honoring the Lord. Our father is Abraham. He said, your father's the devil. Huh? What you talking about? <laughs> He's talking about willful immaturity who don't think that constant practice or who think it's a suggestion. Alan Iverson, we're talking about practice. We're talking about practice, constant practice. We all fall short. We all fail, but we keep fighting. But some of you are chilling. And I have been patient long enough. I'm coming after some of you because you need to take seriously your walk with the Lord. And if that offends you, then I'll take that. The devil is here. But we need to be alert, not afraid. Obedience is not a suggestion. And growth is not inevitable. It is intentional. It takes work. It's hard at times. God understands who we are, our limitations. He's patient with us. He loves us. He gives grace. But the expectation doesn't change. If you want to spend eternity with God, then prove it now. You don't prove it when you get there. You prove it as you live here. Two questions every Christian should repeatedly ask themselves. Two questions. In closing, two questions every Christian 
should repeatedly ask themselves. The first is, do I really care about growing and being like Jesus? Do I really care? Second question, what's really stopping me from growing? Do I really care about growing and being like Jesus? And don't answer that frivolously. Yeah, I do. Really evaluate that. What fruit in my life do I see that in? People don't want to ask this question because sometimes we don't want the answer. We don't want to be confronted with the reality. Listen, it's better to be confronted with it right now than in front of God. You do not want him to tell you, ah, no, you didn't really believe. These sins mattered. Do I really care about growing and being like Jesus? And then what's really stopping me from growing? What's really stopping you? If your answer to the first question is no, you don't really care about being like Jesus, then you should ask, then why should my sins be forgiven and I go to heaven? God said he's a jealous God. He's looking for people who love him. Not looking for people who, remember this category of people. Remember this category. Jesus said this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's making a point that people who honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him, are not going to spend eternity with him. The enemy is here in our midst. We're not afraid. We must be alert. Take your walk with the Lord very seriously. Take these messages very seriously. Because if you don't, the enemy won't take you seriously. He's going to come for you. He's going to come for you. Father, we none of us ever match up to what you call us to. And that's why you sent Jesus. We'll never obey you perfectly, fully. There's not a person in this room, myself included, who loves you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves our neighbor as ourselves at all times. So we are perpetually in a state of sinning against you. And you forgive us. You still are pleased with imperfect obedience when we try to honor you, when we're resisting sin, when we're applying the basic principles of the oracles of God. Father, I pray that we're so used to hearing weekly teachings. You've given me the gift of communication, humor, all those things. I'm glad for that, Lord. Thank you. I would much rather be entertaining than be dull and boring. But Lord, entertaining charismatic has nothing to do with making anyone distinguish good and evil in their own hearts. But I do pray that you use, and you have already, but I pray, Lord, that you bring a sober, a sobriety here. Not everyone knows what I'm talking about, but you do, and I do and a few others. Lord, we're not afraid, and you never tell us to be afraid. But you do tell us to be sober-minded and alert. There are too many of us in here playing around. We're childish Christians. We're grown little people in the faith. We have heard this stuff so much, and we make up all these excuses. Lord, I pray that you would convict them. If something's always wrong with everything else, then they're the problem. If it's always somebody else, if it's always my tone, if it's always my calendar, the calendar, if it's always, Lord, help them to see that, as James says, put the mirror of your word to them. 
And Lord, for those who are in serious sin, I pray that they will repent, do the right thing, humble themselves, receive the grace that comes in all of those things, because the opposite of grace is wrath. And none of us, none of us are prepared for that. Your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen.